Well, as we begin our countdown to Lent and to Easter, the readings today are especially poignant. St. Paul says in our reading, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. This he said to Corinthians, who had taken their liberty too far, had indulged in the eating of meats offered unto idols in front of their converted brethren who had just converted from such idolatry. Corinthians who had applauded a man for taking his father's wife. Corinthians who were taking their brothers to court and suing them rather than resolving their differences amongst one another. The life of secular Corinth was indeed shaping the church at Corinth, and St. Paul was not going to have any of it. Today, there is a distinct phenomenon experienced by people living in technologically developed regions, and that is the tendency to become overhasty, impatient, and to be controlled by our passions. Two, like the Corinthians, lack discipline to exhibit the very things that the Corinthians did, calling sin holy. For there is a positive correlation between the level of advancement and the level of poor discipline displayed by people. Allow me to elaborate. Due to the invention of the internet, we now have unrestricted access to immense amounts of data. An entire world of information available at our fingertips. However, our minds would automa- will automatically be drawn towards something that we desire rather than what we need or can benefit from. This means that out of the vast ocean of data that is on the internet, we naturally seek out the islands of pleasure which are littered all over it. These islands consist of things such as social media, entertainment, dating websites, online shopping, whatever our minds are gravitated and find pleasure around. Memes in my case, memes about politics, our minds will go there. And of course, such islands didn't just pop into existence by themselves, but they were erected, I would say, by demons looking to make a killing by ruthlessly exposing and exploiting human desire. Corporations and the demons at their head put out all the stops in order to direct as much human traffic as possible to their islands. And towards this end, they will bombard us with 
out of our senses with every appealing clickbait. You know how it goes. You turn on your phone, you go to an application, and suddenly the thing you were just talking about is appearing. You were talking to your wife about electric cars. Suddenly electric car advertisements come up on your screen. You were talking, uh, the other day I was talking about, um, to, to a colleague about window cleaning and how it would be nice if, you know, we, I would like to have our windows cleaned every, every week or so at the house, but it gets too expensive. Well, I was getting ads about window cleaning. These things have now found ways to burrow into our minds, as it were, and understand what we desire and to give it to us. They make sure to burn their brands and logos into the deepest crevices of our psyche. It doesn't matter whether we associate it with positive things or negative things. All that matters is that it is etched deep into our, into our brain and that we are constantly visiting these sites and consuming their content day and night, day and night. And after collecting a wealth of data on what everyone wants, they've been able to manufacture the most titillating content to human senses. Under 60 seconds, music is in the background, replaying on loop as many times as we want, and transitions onto the next video with just a single flick. The next video, I sometimes like to see people fishing and cutting fish, um, culling fillets. It's really fascinating to me swordfish, groupers, salmon, whatever. And before I know it, I'm 45 minutes in just looking at fish being cut. Is there any simpler way to jettison away huge portions of our lives into endless oblivion? The result is, of course, a generation of humans with brains that are indistinguishable from drug-addled individuals. The drug-like addiction of satiating the desires and removing boredom instantly by watching videos, playing games, has turned us into extremely impatient creatures, always seeking out the next fix. Just take a look at the results of a survey conducted on impatience in Great Britain in 2020. Patience is a virtue, this quote is saying. Patience is a virtue, but it's becoming an exceedingly rare quality in modern society. According to a new survey of 2,000 British adults, all of the luxuries of modern life have made most people incredibly impatient. Across pretty much every aspect of their lives, three-quarters of those surveyed said they believed the dominance of digital technology, such as smartphones and on-demand TVs, are to blame for this ever-growing lack of patience. Listen to this. Respondents reported becoming frustrated after just 16 seconds waiting for a web page to load. After 25 seconds of waiting for a traffic light to change. 10 seconds after an email failed to load. Oftentimes, all it takes is mere seconds of waiting for people to lose their cool. For example, respondents reported losing their temper after just 20 seconds of waiting for ink to dry 
on a greeting card. Additionally, it only takes 22 seconds for people to start cursing their computers or TVs if a show or movie doesn't immediately start streaming correctly. Surveyed Brits also reported losing their cool after just 18 seconds of searching for a pen. Do you think we were this impatient before the advent of the internet? And more importantly, what do you think will happen if this technology keeps improving? The next iteration are the virtual reality headsets that immerse you into a world of your choosing, a world of your crafting, so that you have full authority over who you are, what you are, where you go, who you meet with, what city you live in, what you eat, etc. Do you think that's going to help? The main point that I want to make here is that people who have reduced patience also tend to have reduced discipline and self-control. And if we are not careful, we let this phenomenon enter the church unimpeded. For impatience, in turn, leads to the reduced ability to follow hard, noble goals like the Lord over and against our more base pleasures and desires. This is precisely the goal of modernity, to engineer people into worshiping themselves and causing us to stray from a godly disposition by making us extremely impatient and restless through technology. One of the consequences of this impatience is the inability to sit with our thoughts. For instance, people who live in modern cities and need to drive to work, having to sit through a lot of traffic on their way to and from work, will very rarely sit with their own thoughts. You don't need to be driving far from work either. You could just sit at home. When we're cooking, when we're doing something with the children, must something be playing in the background at all times? Always needing something to enter in, some stimulus. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Sometimes we may listen to the Bible audibly, some beneficial lecture. But what I'm indicating here is that ever-increasing aversion to boredom, to quietude, to prayer, and to deep consideration of our lives. This means that we are spending less time reflecting on ourselves, our lives, and our God. We're never just thinking and pondering. Everyone is too busy in this modern life, in the fast lane, running a race of futility. St. Paul said, they too run a race, but they do it to a false God, to a false goal. We are running the same race of futility with all this technology and all this activity. Everyone is too busy. Depression is undoubtedly a symptom of modernity. And there is no doubt that this restless life, it bestows upon its citizens, has played a huge role in the proliferation of depression. You see, it's extremely unnatural to give your mind and soul the opportunity to bask in quiet thought and contemplation. It leads to a more draining lifestyle if you're just 
constantly stimulating. A constant stimulus. It's like this. Have you ever... There used to be an advertisement for a quick way to get uh, fit. I don't know if it's made its way here in the UK, but in the US, they would sell you an abdominal band. And it had electrodes. And rhythmically, it would send an electric symbol to your abdominal muscles. And activate your abdominal muscles by itself. And it advertised six weeks of having this band and you will have a six pack to take to the beach. (laughs) Strangely though, and sensibly, your muscles would get tired. They would. They would get sore from this constant stimulation. And our minds are the same way. This constant stimulation forbids it from resting. Depression is undoubtedly a symptom of modernity, and there's no doubt that this has something to do with it. This is also part of the reason why self-help meditation gurus have become so popular in recent times. Modern humans have felt this drastic transition and are thus drawn to any kind of solution that is offered up. Put some crystals around. Put some candles on. Empty your mind. Do some yoga. Hire a therapist whom you pay to sit on a couch and be quiet and speak your thoughts. Modern humans have felt this need. It's why we're witnessing the rise of so many types of therapies and antidepressants, focusing on making people just sit quietly, taking deep breaths. Even, some have argued, do you want to disconnect from this technological, busy, depressed environment? Become Muslim where you will pray five days a week in a disciplined way. You will, this is appealing to a society that's running at a frenetic pace. It's also why the culture of unplugging has become so popular. For those that may be unaware, this involves people taking off from all kinds of social media and technology and going camping or living with nature for a few days. Technology has also had a devastating effect on our perception of time. A day in the life of the modern man where he's just chasing after one thing followed by the next, like pearls on a necklace, feels like a complete blur. Has it really been that long? I don't even know where my days go. It feels like just yesterday. Our weeks, our days, our hours blend completely into each other. This accelerated passage of time is another one of the new phenomenon that is experienced by citizens of modernity. Fortunately, the best solution to this warping psychology, as always, is our faith. 
For starters, Christians don't need any lengthy meditation guides because we already have been blessed with the best form of it. As King David did, we recharge our spiritual batteries and take a load off from modernity by morning, afternoon, and evening prayer, presenting ourselves humbly before God and praying to Him, praying to the one true God. This effectively kills two birds with one stone. Firstly, this requires consistency, which builds discipline in a world where discipline is quickly disappearing. Secondly, the morning and evening prayer isn't rushed or distracted, but offered with concentration, peace, and tranquility. Set aside a time that is quiet, perhaps before even the children have awoken, and pray to your God. This is a powerful counter to the fast-paced and impatient lifestyle that is offered by modernity. This combination of both patience and discipline then makes for a person that is less easily controlled and manipulated by modern desires. This is what St. Paul said. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all. But one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as I one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. You see, there is, there are two options, really. There's running the world's race and then there's running God's race. There's spinning inside the hamster wheel that modernity puts us in, chasing perception, chasing how... Others see us on social media chasing what's happening in the latest conspiracy theory. Then there's chasing after the discipline of kindness, humility, steadfastness, loyalty, honesty, virtue. This race requires discipline, Paul says. It requires that our body be under our subjection. Observe the standard lifestyle in the West, especially during young adult life. It's geared towards burning through an entire week and then crashing into a weekend of partying, drinking, alcohol, we Christians ought to live differently. St. Paul describes the, the discipline he had whilst giving himself over to the ministry. And even though he had the right to earn and benefit materially from it, he refused. He lived from tent making. If you remember, just before chapter 9, in chapter 8, 
He says this. He says this. Now as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. And if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing yet, as he ought to know. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice into idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is none other but God, one. But though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, but to us there is but one God, the Father of whom all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Apostle. Trained by Gamaliel, the most expert biblical scholar in his time. And he himself is saying, knowledge puffeth up. This requires a discipline that is incredible. You ever be good at something? Have you ever been good at something? You notice what happens when you're good at that one thing? You start taking incredible pride and arrogance about that one thing. When I was in university and... I found that I was gifted in maths and, and physics. And students would ask for help. Fellow colleagues, fellow students would ask for help. Did I say, yeah, sure, come over? No. I said, sink or swim, buddy. I've got the gift. You don't. <laughs> I said, I'm going to be the one at the top of the grading curve. You're going to be the one at the bottom. I want the grading curve to be easier for me. This is what happens. This is our lower state. This is a lack of disciplining our bodies. A lower state of consciousness is one where a human is in more of an animalistic, base, Adamic state, focused only on fulfilling base desires, satiating his hunger and lusts, and is concerned only with self-pleasure and satisfaction. His purpose is purposeless and serves only himself. The entire system of modernity is aimed at producing humans of this kind. Modernity uses technology to make the availability and attainability of such things as easy as possible. And it then promotes them via its own philosophy, thus paving the way towards a soulless mankind. But a higher state, a disciplined state, the state that God calls us to, is one where a human is disciplined enough to consciously reject these urges, to be aware that these urges are operating inside of them, and to willingly say no. Such a human then has the luxury to reflect upon his surroundings, engage in higher moral conduct and focus on his true purpose which is bigger than himself such a person is one that is em empathetic courageous vigilant firm and fixed sees the problems of the world and can really work towards fixing them 
while fulfilling his God-given role on this earth. You see, part of having discipline is setting up systems that block out all the avenues that lead to a hedonistic, self-pleasuring lifestyle. Regular prayer in the morning and evening. Regular Bible reading. My, um, when we started attending church together as a married couple, we attended Baptist churches. And they had this great saying in the Baptist church. Either the Bible will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from the Bible. That is to say, either reading the scriptures diligently will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from reading the scriptures diligently. And it was this just really wise call to continually read the scriptures because when you have the wisdom of God regularly and consistently placed before your eyes, your sin will be more evident. You see, we are born with blind spots. The curse of the fall, amongst many other things, imposes a blind spot upon us. We are oftentimes blind to the sin that is wreaking havoc within us. The discipline of prayer and reading makes that blind spot, puts a mirror there. A mirror that lets you see what you are and what you are without God. And so, this takes us finally to our gospel passage. In our gospel reading and in the dispute over sitting next to Jesus, which followed, if you remember... Subsequent to this parable in chapter 20 is an episode where two of the apostles or the mother of two of the apostles asked Jesus a particular question. Do the children remember what this question was, which caused so much stir, which caused so much controversy? It was the mummy of two adult apostles. First of all, I was wondering, what is she doing there? Aren't these guys adult men? But in old, ancient Israeli civilization, we didn't have these generational gaps where as soon as we were 18, we moved and never saw our parents again. We lived with our parents continually the whole time until they passed away. In Nigeria, I believe it's often the case. In Latin America, it's still the case. Here we practice a different, I would say, sub, subpar and dishonorable lifestyle where we cast our children out and then we cast our parents out. But here we have an episode, children, where the mother of two of the apostles asked a question. What was that question? Do you remember, Lavinia? Who will sit... At the right hand and the left hand of Jesus Christ. Who will sit next to them? And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, are you able to drink the cup that I drink? In other words, are you able to make the propitiatory sacrifice that I will be making on the cross? No. And at that question, 
the other apostles stirred up and, and they got angry. They got unsettled. They all wanted to be... Stop doing that. They all thought they belonged in the highest positions next to Jesus. They were all thinking of themselves and where they belonged. Similarly, in this parable of the workers of the vineyard, which is an allegory on the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews who have waited and worked for the whole day are expecting a great reward. And the Gentiles who have sneaked in at the final hour are getting the same reward. And what happens? The workers who have worked 12 hours have gotten mad. They've gotten angry. And they've criticized the master of the vineyard. What does God say when what does St. Paul say about criticizing the, the maker of the, of the clay vessels? Who are you, O oh man? Similarly, who are the workers of the vineyard who have taken work willingly, who have made an agreement, a covenant with the owner for a certain price and a certain reward and are receiving their reward? There is the stench of the lack of discipline, of disciplining their passions, disciplining their flesh, that these men of the twelfth hour are unable to control their lips, are unable to control their thoughts. And so St. Paul is saying, run the race, but not the race that the world is running for a perishable crown, chasing after attention, sucked into a world of false gods, but run the race of God so that when the hour comes and the worker and the owner of the vineyard calls you, rather than being bitter and running the risk of being cast out, being part of the branches that are cut off and burnt in a fire, as the scriptures say, we are, so, we are told, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have disciplined your thoughts. You have run the race well. You have taken the gift of the Holy Spirit and you have obeyed. And this is the danger. Even as I speak, even as I preach, there's dangers, these gaps between my words. Think about it. We are so conditioned to have things coming in, stimulus, that if I were even to have a 10-second gap in what I would say, what would happen, I ask you this? Would you be able to keep your mind waiting and attentive for the next words or would your mind instantly disappear into some other thought? This is what we don't realize has happened to our mental disposition. We cannot sit in the silence of a few seconds without something else coming in. 
We cannot fathom a moment where we wait. And it's a paradox, isn't it? Because running a race means being active. It means doing. But the race of God, before running that race, there's training. Before getting on the track, there are exercises to be done. And so we have the exercises of prayer and Bible reading. So that when we face the race of reality, when we face the demons that are out there, when we face lost souls that are in desperate need of, our, of God's gospel, then we have the wherewithal, the endurance, the discipline that we've practiced to wait, to listen, to understand how we might become a Jew to the Jews, a Gentile to the Gentiles, how we might be everything to everyone that we might win someone over. And this is what is at stake for in a headlong attempt to match punch for punch what the world does to stimulate everyone, the church rushes in and emulates. Let me stimulate. Let me have bands. Let me have loud music. Let me have emotive. Let me have screams. Let me have overflow. Let me stimulate. But that is not necessarily the Holy Spirit. Stimulus is not to be confused with the Holy Spirit. But it is the fruit of our lives. How we conduct ourselves. And so as we run this race, as we are called into the vineyard, let us wait upon the Lord and let us practice the discipline of prayer and Bible reading. That when the Lord calls us home, we might have those wonderful words spoken of us. Well done, my good and faithful servant. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen.